I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today on Fifth Emission, the latest on the coronavirus. The Chronicle has launched a new interactive tracking map with the latest information on diagnosed cases. I'll discuss those tracking efforts with health writer Aaron Alday. Then I'll chat with business writer Chase D. Feliciantonio about what local industries and their employees are doing to prepare for a wider outbreak. We also discuss a few of the more bizarre conspiracy theories out there. But first, health writer Aaron Alday. Aaron, you've been keeping track of all of the new cases that uh, we have in Northern California and around the state, around the country. We've just posted a map on sfchronicle.com that is uh, tracking all of these. How is the counting happening on a public health level? So it's actually pretty interesting. Um, it's it's The reason why we started keeping track of these cases is because there isn't really one good entity that keeps track of it in a way that's easy for the public to follow. The CDC has a running case count of just total cases for the entire country, um, but they only post that and update it about three days a week. Um, so it's not constant. If you call, they might give you the latest numbers um, or they might announce it like during a press meeting. But just on their website, it's only three days a week. And the other thing is they don't they'll show you which states have cases, but they don't break it down and tell you how many. So California just shows up as you know, a state that has cases, but then so does Massachusetts, which just has one, whereas California has 29. Um, they also like separate out the source of infection. So they just list all of these cruise ship passengers um, who have been in quarantine and testing positive regularly. They're just listed all in one lump and you don't really know where they're located, um, where they had been quarantined, where they're being treated now. Um, none of that information is just publicly available on the CDC website. Um, meanwhile, in California, the state public health department has been real hit and miss in terms of releasing this information. Every now and then they'll announce a case, but more often than not, they don't. And they've been leaving it up to individual counties to say when a new case is reported. Um, so, you know, when we realized that there were just kind of all these different sources um, to get this stuff and not really one good place to get this information, uh, we thought it'd be kind of smart to to start collecting as much of that information as we could and then putting it into a format for uh, for readers to be able to follow along and know, you know, when there are new cases in their community, in their state. Um, and so we have now a comprehensive, I think the only comprehensive map in, in the country that shows where, you know, every single case um, in the country uh, is located now. One of the things that public health officials in the very early days of this outbreak were really loath to do is talk about who was being tested and who wasn't. They were only talking about confirmed cases. I think one thing people might wonder if they go to this map is how often are we going to be able to update it and what does it actually mean? If somebody calls and says, I have a friend who's a nurse at this hospital and they say they have a patient, is that going to be on this list? What's it dependent on? So we're only doing confirmed cases. So these are only people who have absolutely tested positive by either the CDC or now uh, state or local health departments now that they're doing their own testing. But they have to have a positive test for us to include on this map. And that's simply because there are, frankly, so many suspected cases. I mean, literally, you know, hundreds of, of suspected, suspected cases. If you think about there being more than 8,000 people who are self-isolating in California alone, you know, on the lookout for symptoms, we can't possibly track all of those. So plus, it's it's frankly a small minority of people who 
you know, are suspected cases end up testing positive. So it wouldn't really be practical information to give to the public or useful information to report every suspected case. It's just that's well, not be, useful. It'd be alarmist. It'd be alarmist. Too. Yeah. No, it would be inappropriate. Like that would not be OK for us to, to be publishing that. But also, you know, we've said many times on this podcast that the vast, vast majority of people who contract the coronavirus are going to have very mild symptoms. So so there may be cases that never make it to the testing phase, too. That's very true. In fact, there are definitely people who think that this virus is in um, U.S. communities right now, that it's circulating, and we're not seeing it because these are people who are very mildly ill and wouldn't even think to go and talk to their doctor about it. What are uh, the institutions that uh, we care about doing to protect people at this point? So in the last week, uh, we've shifted a little bit or quite a bit, actually, um, in how we're talking about this uh, this virus in the United States. For a long time, it was just, a, well, and in a lot of places, it still is about containment, just looking for every single case and trying to keep that contained. But now that as of Friday, we have two cases in the Bay Area of people who appear to have been infected just by being out in the community called community-acquired uh, infection you know, that just means it's it's possibly out here just circulating. And that moves to a different phase of, of public health um, and a different phase of response by all these different organizations from your public health department to hospitals, public transit, schools. I think everybody is thinking right now or they should be thinking right now about what they're going to do based on where this thing is going. And nobody knows where it's going. It may just be how are we going to respond to one or two more cases? How are we going to respond to, you know, um, a family is infected in Alameda County, or how are we going to respond to it, this going through a school in San Francisco? These are all sort of scenarios that they're playing out and talking right now and planning right now about how they're going to respond to that. I know you have a story, actually several stories that you're writing right now and you're on deadline. You Correct. need to get back to the newsroom. Your editors are uh, very anxiously waiting your your return. But we have had, as you say, a few people in the community that have acquired it in the community, not from somebody who recently tra traveled to China. We don't know a lot of information about these community cases. Why is that? I think everybody wants to know the details of who these people are and where they've been. I think it's a really good question. And it's something that a lot of us are asking these public health departments. Um, in Solano County, which is the first case of this community acquired, they've been very tight-lipped about where this person might have been in the community before she was caught, before her case was caught. You know, she was in a hospital for three days, and so they've, they've you know, talked to a lot of those hospital personnel and told them to isolate at home. And the county says that they are talking with her coworkers, for example, and have contacted them, have figured out who may be at risk and are putting them, you know, in isolation as needed or in quarantine as needed. Her family, same deal. But they're not saying, you know, we don't know if she went to restaurants in Solano County in her in her home. We don't know, actually even know if she lives in Vacaville or some other place. Um, there's a lot we don't know. And for whatever reason, they're not sane. And that may indeed be because she just wasn't out in the community very much. And so the public health officer's you know, frankly, don't think that there is any risk and there's no need to tell the community, you know, that she was out shopping at an outdoor mall because that will freak them out and they don't need to be freaked out. There's, the risk is very low. So there may be good cause for that, but it is a little concerning that they're really not sharing any information. And as for this newest case in Santa Clara County, who um, is an older woman um, and who has other health conditions. So she's and both of these cases were identified in the hospital. So they were very ill when they were identified. Um, but, 
you know, hopefully we'll know a little bit more about her. But at this point, we don't. So I guess we'll see where that ends up. So the CDC is and local health officials are both basically saying at this point, you need to trust us. How much of it is also that they don't want to affect businesses? Like if if these people had been to a business or a restaurant, saying the name of that place might really jeopardize that business inappropriately. I mean, that certainly plays into it. But you have to understand, I mean, these public health departments, this is work they do all the time. So if they get a suspected, if they get a measles case, a tuberculosis case, you know, any sort of infectious disease where they have to do contact tracing, they, they're they used to making these judgment calls. And they do take into account that they don't want to hurt places that, you know, unnecessarily. Un- so if they deem that there isn't a risk by, you know, putting something out in the public, they'll avoid that at all costs. I mean, it may be if it was like, a small restaurant that they could figure out who was exactly there at that time and they don't need to make a public announcement to everybody, you know, don't go to this place. Um, so, you know, to a degree, yeah, you have to trust that they they're, they are used to doing this work. They do it all the time. As they say repeatedly, this is our bread and butter. This is what we're here to do. So trust us. We know what we're doing. Um, so, you know, we probably should, but there is, you know, understandable, I think it's justifiable concern on behalf of the public to want to know more about this particular case. Erin, thanks a lot. Thank you. That was health writer Erin Alday discussing our latest tracking efforts at The Chronicle to keep you up to date on the coronavirus. We'll be right back after this. I'm back with Chase D. Felici Antonio. He's a business writer with The Chronicle. Chase, you've been covering some of the business impacts of the coronavirus scare and the likely pandemic. What are you hearing from people about what their level of fear is in the community? I think people are not really certain how to feel yet. But I think as far as the business impact uh, across a lot of industries in San Francisco and the Bay Area, businesses are feeling the squeeze from this. I think uh, one restaurant I talked to said their reservations are down. Uh, ever in the last three weeks, and they're losing maybe three to four reservations uh, a day. They said uh, since the state of emergency was declared in San Francisco, that's been a particular hit, and they're considering starting a delivery business, which they've always resisted as long as they've existed. Um, I think in other places, uh, people are considering staying home, even at, uh, for example, technology companies, uh, many of which really value in-person collaboration. I talked to one woman who, uh, she's pregnant, And she said she described it as a self-quarantine, even though she's not ill with uh, coronavirus or anything else. But she doesn't she doesn't want to get on BART into the city, into San Francisco uh, and risk uh, infection or exposure uh, for her or her child. And even though there's no reason necessarily right now in San Francisco for her to be concerned about that as far as active cases, I think people are really taking precautions in lieu of uh, uh, direct advice from uh, the government or uh, other authorities. That's really interesting what you said about the restaurants losing reservations. Is there a sense of whether those are residents who just, you know, are hunkering down and just don't feel like they're in the going out mood or is it tourism affected? Is, you know, because we're losing a lot of tourists into the city. I think in the particular restaurant I talked to, uh, it's a little bit unclear. But I think uh, in previous stories I've written, I spoke to a lot of restaurants at Tourist Hotspot in Pier 39, and a lot of them had similar stories to tell. Uh, They talked about reservations being down um, during a time when uh, tourism isn't necessarily booming, but it's lower than where it was last year. So that uh, does lead me to believe that it's tourism, but I think uh, three to four reservations a night for a restaurant that uh, doesn't have that many seats 
that's significant and that maybe could imply that it's also local people and it's a restaurant that's decently well-known in the community. What are some other industries that have been affected by this? I think uh, another industry that's been affected by this is uh, the video conferencing industry. Uh, as that's you... what was I was going to guess. <laughs> the video, co- why the video conferencing industry? Uh, unsurprisingly, they're uh, they're taking a, um, a a very cautious tack to this because they want to be ready for uh, a lot of increased traffic. Um, I uh, Zoom's uh, CEO was talking uh, this week in a blog post about uh, he himself is actually from China and uh, was was discussing. Uh, how um, a lot of their traffic uh, from back home um, is increasing. And um, other companies who provide similar services are also seeing um, upticks in people uh, video conferencing, um, using uh, uh, digital telephony to uh, to get into meetings as opposed to doing things in person. Um, a lot of companies have uh, cloud servers and they have a lot of uh, data availability. But that um, if it continues and if people really do mandatorily have to stay home, uh, that would really potentially tax a lot of their servers and uh, cost the money, have to uh, potentially expand their uh, their capabilities. Are you hearing any unusual theories out there from people that you've spoken with or any, I don't know, conspiracy theories? And if so, let's debunk them right now. Absolutely. Um, I think one interesting thing, uh, I went to the RSA conference in San Francisco uh, earlier this week to walk around and just talk to people. And That's get, a security conference. It's a security conference, cybersecurity conference. It takes place at the Moscone Center, and it's one of the largest events that takes place in San Francisco uh, every year. A lot of companies actually dropped out of the conference, uh, sponsors, um, ahead of time because they were concerned about people traveling, flying in, shaking hands, and potentially exposing themselves to a virus. People from all over the world come to the conference. Um, and some people I spoke to who were uh, pretty buttoned-down cybersecurity types had some pretty unfounded theories about where this came from, about how it might be spread. And I think um, a lot of that may or may not be true, but it speaks to, I think, uh, uh, maybe a lack of, of direct informational sources that people are going to to find out really basic information about what their exposure risk really is. And I think uh, just by going out and talking to people, um, it's a little bit concerning that they would say uh, it, you know, this came, one person told me, I think this came from a biological weapons lab in China I, that is near Wuhan. I heard that same conspiracy theory from the people who actually run the coffee shop in the Chronicle. And I had to tell them, like, there's no reason to think that at all. It's just one of those crazy rumors that gets started on the Internet. And I think those are really dangerous when they get out and people start circulating them because it just contributes to a distrust of government, really, uh, to be able to tell people the truth about what's going on. Yeah, and I think it also makes people do things that maybe are uh, a little bit irrational and, and creates that fear in them uh, when maybe things aren't as bad uh, as they think they are. Um, that, that situation in particular is a totally unverified theory that has popped up in multiple places on the Internet and now you know, in person, and there really just is no proof of that. Um, and I don't think it's the last time we'll hear a theory like that come up and have to be debunked. Yeah, it, it bothers me even for us to acknowledge it in some ways. But I, I do think it's important to say that there's no evidence that that is the case. And and uh, it's really important to get high-quality information about what's going on, like from the San Francisco Chronicle. Absolutely. And like from you, Chase. Um, last question. What, what are you getting asked from people when you um, are interviewing them about this topic? 
I think this is one of the most interesting thing that, things that has come up um, when I've been doing uh, interviews and reporting uh, for these articles. Uh, I'll ask people questions about what their business is doing, what they're doing, how they're uh, protecting themselves. And then a lot of times they'll ask me what I'm hearing and what they should do. Uh, and I think I'm certainly not an expert and not a doctor uh, and and uh, just someone who's trying to learn about this myself. But you play one on TV. But I certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that also speaks to the uncertainty around this and the concern and fear that people, people are feeling. Um, I think they're looking to their news sources, particularly local news sources, to really tell them um, what the danger really looks like, how many cases there are of this, and what the exposure is. Um, but I think uh, there's really responsibility to get that information out there as quickly as possible and disseminate it as broadly as possible because um, when people are waiting till a reporter calls them to uh, get the basic information, that tells me that uh, they're, they're, the information is maybe not as accessible in some places as it, uh, as it should be. Well, I think everybody wants to know what the future is. And, and with something like this, it's really hard to predict. We can only say what we know, and it's a new virus. Uh, a new disease that people are getting. And, you know, it takes in this constant uh, in, instant information age that we live in, I feel like that's really unsatisfying for people to be told, well, just wash your hands and be careful. It doesn't feel like enough when you're faced with this uncertainty. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, when the CDC came out and said that this could spread further into the U.S. to be prepared when uh, Maryland and Breed announced a state of emergency, not because there were cases in the city, but to get prepared for this. I think those are kind of forward uh, thinking uh, statements that um, are necessary to protect people, but at the same time, make people think that something is happening um, that is not. And and they need to also be aware that, uh, you know, t this is not something that is really prevalent in communities across California or the Bay Area right now. Um, and uh, th those are more uh, uh, statements that were made to to get ahead of a problem as opposed to addressing something that's we're fighting right this second. Great. Thanks a lot, Chase. Thank you. I'd like to thank business staff writer Chase D. Felici Antonio for being with me today, health writer Aaron Alday, producer King Kaufman, and thanks all of you for listening. Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.